Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Uh, today we have several topics to talk about. Our panelists include Attorney Ernesto Borges, Rochelle Crump, Victor Lagroon, and Richard uh, Brookshire. So we're going to have about five minutes each for each of those segments, and I'm going to turn it over first to our uh, illustrious uh, uh, Attorney Ernesto Borges, but we're going to play a CNN audio clip first. This is about an Army vet accused of FBI of conspiring in the capsule uh, the Capitol insurrection. Don, it is striking just how many people are former veterans who are now accused of attacking the U.S. Capitol. USA! USA! They came to Washington trained in warfare, wearing combat gear, forming a line, marching up the Capitol steps, and then use their training against the U.S. Capitol. These three Americans are some of the first to face the most severe charges in the attack on the Capitol, including conspiracy, obstruction of an official proceeding, and violent entry or disorderly conduct. All three are U.S. veterans. 65-year-old Thomas Edward Caldwell served in the Navy. 50-year-old Donovan Ray Crowell is a former Marine. This is Crowell inside the Capitol building on January 6th. Overran the Capitol! who popped up behind him is Jessica Marie Watkins. She served in the Army as Jeremy David Watkins. On January 6th, the former Army veteran riled up her troops in person and on the social media site Parlor. We stormed the Capitol today. Watkins is a member of the Oath Keepers, an extremist anti-government group. She also started her own self-styled militia in Ohio. We wanted to know more about these Americans now charged with attacking the democratic transfer of power they claim to support. So we went to their towns. Turns out Watkins runs a bar with her partner in the village of Woodstock, Ohio. I spoke with a neighbor who lives down the street from this bar who didn't want to be identified, but he told us that this is the watering hole for this town of about 300 people. And that when you would go in to get your beer, Watkins would often try to recruit you to her militia. He said most people didn't bite, but we know at least one person did because he was in D.C. with Watkins and they were both arrested. That person was Donovan Crowell, who lives just down the street from Watkins Bar. I am her boyfriend. She does, is not a violent person. Montana Sniff and Watkins run the bar. The two live upstairs where the FBI showed up last week. The shots woke us up and the yelling, because they were on a microphone yelling, it is the FBI and to come down. And it was crazy. It was flashbangs, not gunshots. The blasted out window remains broken. Only Sniff was home and says he was questioned and released. Watkins later turned herself in. What was her plan? Uh, she was supposed to help um, protect some VIP members within the uh, Trump rally. There are people calling her a traitor. How would you describe her? Is that fair? That is very much an, an unfair statement. She would never uh, try to dismantle the Constitution. So you don't see this as an insurrection or yeah. sedition? It was certainly. Yeah, people involved did need to uh, take their lumps. But 
It's including Miss Watkins. For for what? If she is found guilty of anything, then she will have to take the consequences of that. Sniff also knows Crowell and says he joined Watkins' self-styled militia. What's he like? When drunk, the guy you want to shut up. When sober, the best man you could have. Well, he came to the bar, so you saw him both drunk and sober. It, that's that's how I got, got that barometer, and the militia was a good thing to help him uh, be like it was a reason to be sober. Crowell has been convicted in Ohio for drunk driving. His mother told CNN by phone that a couple years ago her son said they were going to take over the government if they tried to take Trump's presidency from him. His mother said she didn't think much of it until January 6th happened. About 400 miles away from Woodstock, Ohio, near Berryville, Virginia, is where Thomas Caldwell lives. Every single in there is a traitor. Every single one. That is Caldwell at the Capitol calling legislators the traitors. Caldwell was a delegate to the Clark County Republican Convention last year. In Washington, D.C., authorities say he was a co-conspirator with Crowell and Watkins in the assault on the Capitol. I do not believe the uh, charges of conspiracy are at all fair. Now, it's unclear how Caldwell knew Crowell and Watkins, but according to federal prosecutors, they were all in Washington, D.C., and Watkins was using the Zello application on her phone to both communicate and plan the attack on the Capitol. Wow, what a story. Um, you know, it's great to have uh, both of you here, uh, Richard and uh, Victor. And we're going to talk about the Root article, Black Vets Weren't Surprised Military Members Stormed the Capitol. You are an exceptional uh, writer, uh, <laughs> Richard. I read that Thank article, you. and that was phenomenal. I, I loved the, uh, not, not only the, the eloquence of what you said, but how you said it. It was really uh, powerful. Thank you. Well, much more to come. Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, who wants to lead in? But we'll talk about this whole issue. And I, I think it's really important for people to understand what you were saying in that article. Yeah, I think yeah. Richard should lead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I try to encapsulate a lot in that article, right? Um, I think kind of speaking from my own experience, um, speaking from the experience of so many other black vets that, that I know, um, and then just generationally, I think that was one thing that, that didn't get to get explored as much is like, this has been an issue for 50 years. This has been an issue for hundreds of years, really. Um, but certainly since the military was integrated and we don't often talk about it enough as a community. Um, and I think because there's a growing distrust in police officers that translates to a growing distrust in the idea of the military as an institution. Right. And so, um, long story short, I, I just, I wanted to encapsulate, and kind of lay out um, a really sound encapsulation, you know, um, of the state of racial affairs in the military, what's being done about it, um, calling the military to account, um, especially with the new Biden-Harris administration, making sure that they understand that this is a very important problem to address. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and because we have now the uh, Lloyd Austin is going to be our first confirmed African-American defense secretary, right? So that, yeah. that's a yeah, really, and that's great. But we've also yeah, had Barack yeah. Obama. We've had black commander yeah, in chief. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So we still need to have the uh, boots on ground actually getting something done, right? <laughs> Absolutely, and it takes courage. And I think that that is what I was trying to to push. I think in the piece overall. Excellent, excellent. So, what's your view on this, Victor? Because uh, I know you are a combat veteran and uh, uh, really iconic yourself. I, you know, uh, you know, one of the people I really look up to too. 
you know, so it's interesting. Um, just like Richard said, mm-hmm. this isn't a new issue, mm-hmm. right? This isn't our first time discovering this level of angst, this level of aggressive behavior, but also coupled with the racist undertone and blatant racism at this point. You know, this, this, it's very abundantly clear that there has been systems in work that have allowed this culture to exist within our military community. And both on the active duty side, as well as the National Guard and Reserve side. And, you know, one of the things that I've often thought about is how do governors leverage the tag to ensure that they're rooting out this, this element in the National Guard, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even after the Capitol insurrection, we saw that National Guard members were being vetted and sent back to their home states because of their association with these groups, right? So even at a heightened level, we still see that this is still an issue that we haven't quite put our arms around. And to Richard's point, mm-hmm. it's not enough to have a black sec death, right? right? It's not enough that we had a black commander in chief, because to be honest with you, this isn't something that black people own. We didn't create this element. We didn't cultivate it. We didn't allow it to exist within the military culture. And I don't want to use a broad, a broad uh, paintbrush and say this is the entire military. Right. But right. everyone within the military community knows that it exists and we still haven't had the wherewithal to root it out. So that's where the work needs to happen. You know, it's kind of interesting because I remember with throwing Operation Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom, uh, there were some concerns about whether gang members from, you know, neighborhood gangs would get involved. And they, they right. made sure that people took their tattoos off and they, you know, mm-hmm. so there was a really concerted effort when it was actually looking at people of color <laughs> about mm-hmm. whether you should join the military or not. And this Absolutely. seems, yeah, it seems really uh, strange that, you know, we would go that far even with people who just had a tattoo who had no gang affiliation whatsoever. You have to remove it. But to carry a, a flag into the sacred chambers of our capital is no big problem, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, again, right? Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, we, we've we even gone to the point now where people have been given waivers for tattoos that are inappropriate. Swastiklers, Confederate flags, mm. you know, three percenters and so on. So there's still some measure of tolerance because there are people in senior levels who share that ideology, who share some of those root behaviors as far as the belief system. People who don't see any issues with having base is still named after Confederate members, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly, we know that these people were not heroes. They, they were traitors against our nation. And yet we, we have not come to terms with having some cultural accountability around who we are as an organization and how we will move forward as a community. Yes, and, and many of our military heroes who came back World War II, going back to Crispus Attucks' time, right, were mistreated um, in some form or fashion another way. Um, you know, some of them were lynched coming back from World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, Vietnam veterans, although, you know, in general, they were all mistreated, especially the African-American veterans who came back, yeah. uh, who really faced the brunt of criticism and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of angst. And Yeah. Hey, can I say a few things? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I, you know, because you, you brought up Vietnam. Vietnam, of course, I uh-huh. I, I remember coming home in uh, May yeah. of uh, 1969, uh-huh. and the way that uh, we were treated um, as Vietnam vets, and uh, you, you you came home, and it was best to just take your uniform off, 
and, and, not, and not that you weren't going to take it off anyway and go out and socialize and so forth, but uh, we certainly weren't treated as uh, returning or conquering heroes or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's some things that bother me. Uh, listening to the these people chant USA, USA, as if we are not patriots, as if we do not believe in our our country, and that is uh, it's upsetting to me. It's upsetting to see uh, the tolerance they have, and I, I think that. Uh, we should, and it bothers me that many, many black uh, people don't trust the military or don't want to wear the uniform or don't uh, believe in it. And uh, the military, to me, was the best thing that ever happened to me, quite frankly, mm-hmm. uh, although I didn't want to go to Vietnam and I, you know, I, I went and served uh, honorably and so forth. But um, I wish that we as a people would join uh, and take a good, hard look at it and and do a little more recruiting uh, because uh, when I look at the military today, I don't see enough uh, black participation, uh, involvement, enrollment, and there's so many benefits from having been a veteran, from going to get your shot or or treatment or or getting uh, a a check. Um, There's so many things that are available to you, and it's shameful when I see people out there uh, protesting, you know, seditionists, um, calling themselves heroes and that and that the rest of us are all traitors to some degree. So I, I wish that um, uh, mm-hmm. there'd be some outreach with the new administration in so far as getting uh, more blacks involved. And, and just as we distrust the vaccine, um, uh, many of us distrust the vaccine, I think that um, – we need to open up the military and uh, and do what we can to to make it more uh, integrated because I see it's not as integrated now as it was during the Vietnam uh, conflict or war and uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that need to be fixed with the uh, with the military. Yeah. So, like, no, yeah, I'd love to interject okay. there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, one, I think uh, black folk are actually overrepresented in the military. Black women serve at the highest rates of any gender, any race. Uh, but it, it's a problem of black folk being marginalized. When we talk about Vietnam, there was an overrepresentation of black folk because they know that they were ripping them from inner city ghettos and throwing them with rifles, you know, into the, the jungles of Vietnam to fight, you know, a, a war that didn't make sense. And one point that I that I thought was important to make uh, is just an observation is that it feels like what's happening right now is, is a repeat of history in some ways. So we had after the Civil War reconstruction, right? And I look at how the Reagan years and the Clinton years destroyed the black community, and then Obama's elect, even into the Bush years, right? And the Bush years planted mm-hmm. the seeds for what we see now, very very much because he lied in, in, into a conflict that and I mean it's the forever war, right? And the, the amount of gold and and, and, and and treasures that the the country has had to expend to maintain those conflicts is, you know, those could have gone toward all manner of things in America. And you have the, the Obama's years, which were supposed to be a rebuild, a, a recompense, a coming to terms, a reckoning, right, for the country. And then there's this, this swift backlash. But the seeds have been there. The seeds have always been there. Um, and now they're organizing. They're organizing internationally. They're definitely organizing, you know, amongst themselves. Um, and the military has to take that seriously. And they, they can't have the same failures of reconstruction happening in 2021. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point, you know, because Ernesto, uh, but attorney Ernesto Borges, the illustrious one, he is a phenomenal <laughs> attorney. I listen to his show every Sunday morning, too. I was supposed to call you after your last show because I thought it was really particularly good. 
Um, and uh, uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, there's a Military Times article that you're aware of that you know can the Pentagon uh, prosecute military retirees under the UCMJ, and I think that really is a, a very important question, especially now. Because well, a lot of these uh, veterans who came forward, as you know, was noted uh, by Richard in his article, you know, about one fifth of them uh, were, you know, uh, military veterans. So, well, yeah, yeah that's that's uh, that's disturbing. And and you know, the yeah. the issue is whether or not uh, yeah. UCMJ applies to veterans. And it's I did not know that a person who had retired from the, uh, from the uh, from the services armed services could in fact be prosecuted by um ncis and and others uh that's astounding to me and i don't know whether that's the the right uh course of action to take to be able to uh for the military to still have some jurisdiction over people who commit crimes um that have that have retired from the military and it was really surprising to me i did not know that 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 was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have certainly different categories. If you retired from the National Guard or something, or uh, you, it doesn't um, it doesn't apply to you and there's no jurisdiction over you. But if you uh, retired from the uh, regular active duty, then the you see um, in, in, in that's the Uniform Code of Military Justice for those people who don't know what we're talking about. But yeah, it's yeah. it's it's surprising that that it still applies to, and I think that I, I somewhat disagree because mm-hmm. can you take a person who's out of the military, who has mm-hmm. committed a, an offense, should the military judge them or should they be judged by a jury of their peers and uh, civilian courts? So that's, that's a little problematic yeah, yeah, for me. But, yeah, that, that's but. interesting, uh, uh, you know, Attorney Borges, you know, because I'm wondering, you know, with that, you know, are they still liable for criminal uh, penalties, right? And, um, you know, in the regular court system, or is it just going to be under the jurisdiction of the of the because it, it, seems it, like it looks as if I, I don't see what both could be uh, uh, trying. I mean, how can you try somebody? Let's say yeah, you commit yeah. a crime and you're found um, not guilty in one court and then guilty in the other or vice versa. Right. So that's it's a little problematic to me to have two different courts having jurisdiction over say one criminal offense. Uh, although we do have, uh, you know, civil penalties and so forth, but uh, but I I think they're going to have to revisit that and and do away with it because uh, trying uh, a a veteran who's been out for ten years and you're saying he's still under the jurisdiction of the military, I think to me does not make sense. But it does. It doesn't because it's, 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 you're not being. Yeah, you're not being penalized for your your uh, uh, you know involvement in military affairs or actions that they're asking you to do. You're actually being tried about uh, uh, insurrection against the government and against the people mm-hmm. of this country. It mm-hmm. seems but I think that also that's true. But I also think that if they're still eligible, like officers when they retire, they can still wear the uniform. And so I think right. it has a lot to do with code of conduct when, in fact, mm-hmm. you're in that position and you're representing yourself as part of the military. Then why would you support yeah. that? Right. That's yeah. Absolutely. But most, but most people are not officers. Most most members of the military are not officers. And, right. uh, you know, you are sergeant or sergeant major, whatever. And you you retire. You've been retired for 10 years. You committed an offense and you should be. Yeah. Uh, I think the military should have the right. I think the military should have the right to strip you of your benefits. If they, if they don't have the right yeah. to prosecute you, that you, I don't, you know, that certainly I don't is what. Yeah. 
Yeah. Under certain I, 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 I think that there's, there's also, also some confusion. Right. Yeah. There's also some confusion as to, based on the federal statutes, because this is very new ground for us. We've, ne- we've never seen this before, right. right? So I don't want to uh, confuse people who don't understand that, for example, uh, Colonel Honor, mm-hmm. the, the president could call you back to service, right? Right, yes. Any right? Day. <laughs> As a commissioned officer, you can be called back at any given time because you, yeah. you're, you're technically never not a part of the military right. when you are a commissioned officer. So those who, and there were quite a few commissioned officers who were retired and some were on the reserve or guard duty as well. They absolutely should be penalized and disciplined under UCMJ. Those who were on the enlisted side who may have been, you know, veterans and served and so forth um, can and probably will be stripped of their benefits because they have committed federal crimes against the government. So not to confuse people and and conflate the issue because um, it is kind of difficult to explain how UCMJ is a, standalone justice system mm-hmm. is you don't have the same threshold for guilt or innocence. You don't have the same threshold for proving your innocence either. So um, it's important that we understand that this is a very different discussion. Um, you know, and I think the only thing we really can lean back on is similar would be Timothy McVeigh and his actions. And that's still separate because he was enlisted and I think he was in the guard. So um, we're going to see a lot of legal discussion about this. Mm-hmm. We're also going to see that the federal government is going to do what it's going to do under, um, I can't remember what the Patriot Act is renamed of, but there are some other legislative actions that they could take because of the, the, the ability of the DOJ and Homeland Security. Yes, and you know, and uh, you know, Rochelle was on here to talk about Lloyd Austin, uh, the general who is now the you know the current firm firm that's the defense secretary. So there's a lot of weight being placed on people. One of our people who's on our board, we're so proud of, was actually called in by Nancy Pelosi, uh, and that's Colonel. Um, you know, I'm sorry, General. Uh, 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 I'm sorry. General Honoré. Yeah, General Honoré. And yeah. he actually uh, is, you know, working with the Capitol Police situation, right. all those kinds of things. And we, we really need to be uh, focused on this because it's a time for transformation. When our Constitution is, is threatened, we, we've uh, swore to fight against enemies, domestic and foreign. So these domestic enemies uh, need to be held accountable, whichever justice system they choose to, uh, to go down the road with. But uh, we are that's it takes away from all of our honor. That's a very, very small fraction of our military personnel. So, um, you know, that's to keep that in mind. We have to have you back again because this this could take 10 hours. The conversation we're having, <laughs> and we need to have more time on this one. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. we're going to it's, it's going to be an ongoing thing. We need to be talking about Absolutely. this. So I really want to thank you so much, Richard uh, Brookshire. If you haven't read his article, please go and read it. It's excellent. And Victor Legrone, thank you, of course, course, for your service all the time. And I want to thank Rochelle Crump and also the attorney, Ernesto Borges, the brilliant one. Uh, You all have uh, really, uh, you know, uh, made me proud to be part of this country, too, uh, for your service. So thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.